Let me take a moment and pray for us as we get ready to open the scriptures together. Lord Jesus, we were just praying to you. We were asking you to come. And uh, we're not asking you to come like a clown at a birthday party just to add a little bit of excitement uh, to a world that's already full of fun. We're asking you to come uh, like, like a doctor to an operating room where we have no hope of survival unless you come. Come and make us new. Lord, whatever it is that causes us this morning to feel our need of newness, would you meet us just in that place? Whether we're grieving the death of a close friend, family member, loved one, whether we are reeling from the shock of bad news, uh, dreams shattered, a future in turmoil, whether we have had so many blessings for so long and we are realizing that our hearts have grown uh, hard because we think we deserved all those good things. Lord, wherever we need it, come and make us new. We pray in your name. Amen. What has gotten into her? What came over her? She's acting really different lately. What's gotten into him? I don't know, but he's really changed, hasn't he? Um, when you see radical change in somebody else's life, you, you want to know why. You want to know what caused it. We're going to read a story this morning about Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. You're going to notice a significant change in his plans. You're going to notice that he has a plan and he totally abandons it and changes it and does something completely different with his life than what he was initially planning. And we're going to ask the question, what led him to do that? What was he responding to? As we ask that question, we'll see something about the coming of Jesus. We'll see how the coming of Jesus involves the breaking of a curse that will be banished forever when he comes again. Sonia is going to come and read for us from Matthew chapter 1. Good morning. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, I wasn't always a Christian. I became a Christian when I was about 16 years old, having grown up in a home that was agnostic on a good day, atheist on a rougher day. And um, so the longer I am a Christian, the more I want to know about how big and how old and how deep the roots of the Christian church are. And uh, one of the things I've discovered on a recent trip to Nazareth is um, this church called the Church of St. Joseph. In the year 670 A.D., a, a, a traveler, a Christian traveler named Arculf, uh, visited Nazareth, and he wrote down in his notes, um, which were discovered of all places in a, um, a monastery off the coast of Scotland, um, he wrote down that that when he visited Nazareth, he, he found an, a, a house, an ancient home that Christians there were honoring and celebrating as the, the home of Joseph, the place where Jesus was nourished in his childhood. And uh, so, um, not long after his visit there, um, maybe even before, depending on how you read the records, uh, a church was built on that site as sometimes called the Church of the Nutrition, because Jesus was nourished there. Um, but most people know it as the Church of St. Joseph. Now, this church behind me is relatively recent, built over the ruins of some older churches, which are built over these first-century uh, ruins of a house. I don't know if that was Joseph's house. It's certainly a first-century dwelling, and it was... Uh, um, it has to be somewhere within a mile or so of where Joseph's house was. Ancient Nazareth wasn't that big a place. When you go down at the basement of the church, you find um, these kind of stone ruins of uh, the structure that was there and, and some artwork that's been added, this beautiful mosaic. You can see on the, the left this depiction of Joseph looking fairly young and this picture and Mary looking a little younger and um, then of kind of a teenage portrayal of Jesus. And if you, were, if you could see it closely enough, he has that like high school scruffy mustache that you get when, you're, when you haven't yet shaved, right? Um, so someone depicting the, the youth of, of Jesus growing up, um, learning more and more about the ancient church. There have been people worshiping Jesus in this place since the first century A.D., there are still Christians in Nazareth worshiping Jesus, many of them singing praise songs in Arabic. Um, 
the ancient church, as I'm learning, celebrated the season that we call Christmas or Advent, not just to remember Jesus' first coming, but to prepare for his second coming. Why is that? And why aren't we doing that? Well, that'll make more sense as we look more closely at Joseph's story here in Matthew chapter 1. We'll start by looking at Joseph's plans. Um, Joseph's first plan is described in uh, Matthew chapter 1, these two verses that Sonia read for us. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Uh, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What was Joseph's plan? Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph's plan was pretty simple. This baby is a problem. I don't know where he came from. I don't know who his father is. It's not me. I know all I need to know about him. He's not mine. And if he disappears from my life, that's okay. But I'm a decent guy, so I'm not going to make a big stink of it. I'm just going to divorce Mary quietly and send her away. And whatever happens with her and the baby is not my issue. The less I have of this baby in my world, in my life, the better off I will be. That's Joseph's plan. Can we pause for a moment and say something about the honesty of the Christian scriptures? The data has not been scrubbed. Right? So um, if, if I'm writing the story, I want Joseph to turn out to be like this awesome hero who always loved Jesus, who always celebrated the birth of this baby. But here's the scripture being honest with us and saying, you know what? There are people who thought Mary had an affair. Joseph was one of those people. He probably wasn't the only one in a little village like Nazareth. And there were people from the very beginning who thought Jesus is just an ordinary human baby. If I'm writing the story, I leave those parts out, right? But there's something honest about the New Testament scriptures saying, hey, We live in a real world where not everybody always believed in Jesus or thought he was anything special. We were like that once, many of us in this room. Something changed us. A couple of implications for us. First of all, I hope that seeing that kind of honesty in various places in the New Testament gives you a sense that the Scriptures are reliable when they talk about things that you find harder to believe. Things like miracles. It also means that here we can't dismiss the description of the miracle of the virgin birth as a product of a naive or pre-critical mindset. There were people living in Nazareth in the first century who said, women like Mary cannot have babies. This does not happen in our world. People living in first century Nazareth knew that just as well as you and I do. So we can't just avoid uh, the, the, the claim of Scripture by saying, well, you know, these were gullible people who were willing to believe anything. They were no more willing to believe than you and I would be <laughs> that Mary was going to have a baby um, without a human father. So we can't write it off that way. Joseph certainly wasn't, so he made his plan. The baby's a problem. Mary's a problem. Let me get rid of both of them. And then Joseph came up with a new plan. He did something completely different, didn't he? 
about it for a moment. When he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. That is, he, Mary was already Joseph's wife at this stage. You and I would think, no, they were just fiancés because they were only betrothed. No, that's not right. They were married. They were husband and wife. So what this means is that, that Joseph is now welcoming into his home the woman that he had planned to divorce. That's a pretty radical shift. And this baby that he had planned to send away, he now adopts as his very own. Verse 25, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In the first century, when a father gave a name to a child, it was a legal declaration, this baby is part of my family. Whether that was by natural birth or adoption, as in Joseph's case. This woman that he was ready to divorce, he now welcomes into his home. This baby he was ready to send away, he now says to the whole watching world, part of my family, under my protection, I will raise him as my own. And he names him Jesus because the angel said, He's the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. Joseph is essentially saying by naming this baby Jesus, not only am I welcoming him and his mother into my family, Joseph is saying this baby is how God will rescue the world. What happened? What led to that kind of change in this man's life? What did Joseph learn while he was sleeping, that was so good, it motivated this kind of change in his life. Well, that's not just a question about Joseph, is it? That's a question for all of us. It's easy for you and for me to think, I know all I need to know about Jesus. Joseph thought that. I know all I need to know about him. He's somebody else's boy. Somebody else's son, not mine. It's easy for us to think, I don't need any more of Jesus in my life. Joseph thought that. Send him away. I don't need him. I know all I need to know. Just my life will be better without him. Joseph's not the first person in the history of the world or the last person in the history of the world to think that way. But there is something that we can learn about Jesus that would shift Everything that would cause us to think, I need more of this person in my life and in my world. I need more of Jesus. And the more I know about him, the more I will be ready to change in radical ways. Well, what was it that Joseph learned that led to that kind of change? He learned God's promises. From an angel. Now, you're accustomed to hearing uh, of maybe about angels in the Christmas story, and you're thinking of the, um, the angel Gabriel, but sometimes it's because we run different parts of the Christmas story together. Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us a name for this angel. Matthew focuses instead on the promises that God makes and that this angel reminds us of. 
grasp these promises, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Why would we do that? We would do that because Matthew tells us to. In verse 18, as he starts this story, Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The Greek word for birth in that verse is Genesis. Now the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When a Jewish writer tells, uses the word genesis, he's sending a signal, right? He's saying we're going all the way back to the very start of the story, the very origins. Whatever is going to happen next is going to impact everything about this world and every person who ever lives on this planet. And we go all the way back to Genesis and... Um, we learn about the Holy Spirit who can give life. Um, Adam is created. His body has no life in it. And the text tells us that, that, the, that God breathed into his nostrils and gave him life. Uh, the words for breath and spirit in Hebrew as in Greek are exactly the same. So when you start thinking about God's spirit, you're thinking about breath Job chapter 33, verse 4, is a great reminder of this. It says, um, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. As you read the beginning of the story in Scripture, though, you read, you read that, that that gift of life, imparted by the Holy Spirit, that gives life to every person, was rejected. This happened a lot in my uh, house because our kids love Legos. Lots of um, boxes with square corners, you know, rectangular stuff under the tree at Christmas time. And it's the kind that you could pick it up and shake it and you already know exactly what it is. Like that Legos just make a sound, right? There is a sound of Legos inside the box that you're like, I don't know what set it is. I don't know what Star Warship we're going to build when we open this thing. I don't know if there's going to be Ewoks or is it going to be Harry Potter for Mama or is it a train for Daddy? I don't know, but it's Legos. Um, picture being that child who says, I know the rules of the house. The rules are I can't open the box until Christmas morning. And picture being that child who says, but I don't need your rules. Who creeps downstairs in the middle of the night. Don't turn any lights on because you don't want to be discovered. You can't see what you're doing because there are no lights. And you unwrap the package and you do it quietly because you don't want to be heard and discovered. Because in your heart, you know you shouldn't be doing this, but um, you're doing it anyway. Because I don't need their rules. I need my Legos. And you uh, peel open the box, right? And you all that crinkly plastic, those little bags, you're opening them up and you're dumping them all out. And you can't see anything because remember, you didn't turn any lights on. Because you know what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> but you don't need their rules. And you're going to build this Lego set anyway, and you can't read the instructions, because remember, you didn't turn any lights on. Um, that's what it's like to be human. Being human is saying, Holy Spirit, I kind of like the, the gift you want to give me of life, but I think I can do it better without you. 
I, I think I can find a better way to do this. And the biblical story says when we reject God's gifts, it leads to a curse on us and the whole world. The whole world has come under a curse so that now people are alienated from the God who made us and from each other. And even from ourselves, our own souls are fragmented. And instead of things coming together in our world, in our world they splinter and they fly apart. And the end result of it all is is death, the fragmenting of body and soul. And all the forms of frustration and sorrow and grief that impact us in this world come under that one biblical word of curse. And when we talk about sin, David mentioned that earlier, leading us in confession of sin. We aren't talking about the violating of taboos and rules. We are talking about this human tendency to say, God, I like your gift. I just don't like getting it on your terms. And I can do better for myself. God, I would, like, I would rather sit here in the dark trying to build life without any instruction book and being constantly frustrated and having to constantly deceive myself into thinking that I am having fun. I'd rather do that then do this your way. The Holy Spirit gives life. Humanity rejects that gift in such a way that we bring ourselves under a curse, but all is not lost. Mom and dad can still walk into the room and turn on the lights and show us the instruction book. There's a glimpse of that, that this curse can be lifted. There are glimpses throughout the whole Old Testament. Here's just one from Ezekiel chapter 37. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. So when this angel shows up, in a dream to Joseph and says, this baby is from the Holy Spirit. That phrase, Holy Spirit, is encapsulating all of that promise that the life that God intends for this world to have, the life that we have lost through death and through sin and through the curse that has come with it and through our stubborn rebellion against the giver of all good gifts, there is hope that the Holy Spirit is at work again and this curse can be lifted and the grave can be a thing of the past. Man, what a promise Joseph heard from that angel. Here's another promise. Not only can that curse be lifted, it can be permanently banished from this world forever. Every form of sorrow and grief and pain can be taken away. How do we know that? Well, we have to pay attention to the words spoken to Joseph. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary home as your wife. Son of David. 
son of David. That's a big theme throughout the Old Testament too. Uh, Joseph was descended from the family line of King David. And the son of David was anticipated, the anointed king, the savior, the Messiah. What was his rule going to be like? Well, the Old Testament tells us it's going to endure forever. Well, why is that good news? The prophet Isaiah had this to say about what would happen when David's son sat on David's throne. He said, then the oppressor will be no more. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and the enemy who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love. The primary characteristic of the reign of the son of David will be faithful, steadfast, unbreakable, enduring love. A throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. If you want to know what the reign of the son of David would look like, read Psalm 72. You'll come across this promise. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him Why? For he delivers the needy when he calls. He delivers the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and he saves the lives of the needy. Joseph, son of David, this baby will be that king who seeks justice and righteousness and showers mercy down on the helpless and is close to the weak and the needy, and he saves their lives. The Hebrew word for saves in that psalm is yasha, from which you get the phrase Yeshua, the Lord saves, from which you get the name Jesus. Joseph, give him this name because he will save his people from their sins, Yeah, and what's the consequence of sin? Curse in all its forms and death in all its forms. So when we're told that this baby will save us from our sins, we aren't just being given a spiritual promise that somehow cleanses our spiritual record before God but has no real impact on the world. Oh, it's real impact on the world when someone shows up and says, I'm getting rid of death. I'm getting rid of helplessness. I'm getting rid of being needy but having no one to care. I'm getting rid of all of that. Joseph, name him Jesus because he will sit on David's throne and the curse will be not just lifted but banished forever. Okay, Jesus, if you're going to do this, if this baby is going to banish the curse, we first got to break its power. Well, we just explained how that happens. What's the cause of all this curse? Where does it all lead? It all leads to death. What brought all of that into our universe? Sin is the biblical word to describe it. You may not like that word because it sounds old-fashioned or too religious maybe. Or maybe you'll misunderstand that word as, well, sin is breaking a list of rules about do's and don'ts. Think about that tree. 
Think about that box of Legos. That's what sin is. Sin is saying, I want the gift, I just don't want the giver. I want life. I just want to do it on my own terms. Even if I, if I have to sit in the dark and figure it out for myself, I'd rather do that than receive it from the God who wants to give it to me. Jesus has come to rescue us from all of that that's inside of us and all of the horrific consequences that it leads to outside of us. Those are the promises that this angel was bringing to this man in his house in Nazareth. This man who had made his plan. I'm just going to divorce Mary. I know everything I need to know about this baby. My life will be better if I have less of him in it. But when he heard these promises, something happened. Well, Joseph responded when he heard these promises from God through this angel. How are you and I going to respond? now that we've heard these promises from God. We could respond by saying, you know what? I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe that young women who have never been physically intimate with a man can have a baby. I just, I don't believe in the virgin birth. Okay, I understand. I don't either. In any case except this one. The Bible doesn't ask you to believe in virgin birth as sort of a thing that could happen to anyone at any moment. It asks you to believe in one virgin birth as an utterly unique thing. And it doesn't ask you to believe that nature caused this. It asks you to believe that the God who created everything and gave life to every human on this planet has the power to give, to create human life in the womb of a young woman without the involvement of a human father. It's not asking you to think that scientists in a lab could do this. It's asking you to think that the God who made everything can do this. But it does this in anticipating a larger miracle. When Jesus returns, he will banish death in every form and he will maximize life in every way for every person who has put their trust in him. And that condition will last forever. That is a far greater miracle than even the virgin birth, as important as that is. See, that one miracle described in this story is anticipating an even greater miracle. So, let's start on that scale. If you're not ready to believe that one, then it makes sense that you're not ready to believe this smaller one. Right? <laughs> like, just, if we're going to get hung up here, we're going to have a real trouble out here. But that points me to an issue, which, which is this. Sometimes we read this story and we say, the question is, can miracles like this happen? 
The real question is, what am I trusting to solve the problem of death in our world? Can miracles happen? Valid question. But you can say no to that one and still have no plan for the bigger question. I would just challenge you to say, hook those two together. And don't, don't stop searching for truth by just negating the possibility of the miraculous. Continue your search for truth by asking a new question. Do I think death is a problem? And if I don't, why do I act like it? And since I really deep down do think it's a problem, what's going to solve that, not just for me, but for the whole human race? And do I have an answer for that? And why should I trust my answer? And can that problem be solved without something beyond nature entering our world? Can that problem be solved without something that when I saw it, I would say, yeah, it's miraculous? Our first response ought to be to accept the gift. When God draws near and he says, I see the problem and I have made a way to solve it, accept that gift. Stop rejecting his gifts. Embrace the fact that my, this sin issue, this pattern of rejecting God's gifts is not a problem for other people. It is a problem for me. I need Jesus to come into this world as my curse bearer. And you do too. Because death and curse and sin are not somebody else's issue. They are mine. That box under the tree has my name on it. And next we have to change all our plans. That's what Joseph did, right? He was on the less Jesus plan. How can I get less Jesus in my life? How can I get as much distance as possible between me and this baby? And then he changed his plan. And he said, the next step I need to take on the more Jesus plan is to do exactly what that angel told me. <laughs> Mary, move out of your parents' house and move into my house. You are my wife. And when you have that baby, let me give him the name Jesus. And Mary, now let's move to Egypt because somebody wants to kill our baby. What's the next step on the more Jesus plan for you? Are you on the less Jesus plan? If so, let's get you off of it and get you on the more Jesus plan real fast. Is it a one-to-one -one conversation with a friend you know who knows Jesus better than you do? Is it a one-to-one -one conversation with a pastor, an elder in our church, a ministry leader, is it plugging in more deeply to a small group of Christians who meet regularly to encourage each other on the more Jesus plan? Maybe the next step for you on the more Jesus plan is to be a mentor to someone else who wants to get on that plan. Because there's nothing that helps you know Jesus better than, than teaching him to someone else. Trust me. That's why I'm here. I get to do this because my faith is so weak. 
And, and Jesus knows that the only way for my soul to stay vital before him is to every week have to do this. It's not to teach you, mainly. <laughs> He's doing that, I hope. But he knows I need this to teach me. <laughs> you need to be on that plan, coaching, teaching, mentoring someone else in their faith. Jesus heard uh, Joseph heard Angel shake the box with the Legos in it, but he never got to see the box opened. Um, if you step into that church, you see this painting. It looks a little weird. It's usually Joseph and Mary standing behind the baby Jesus, or maybe Jesus the adolescent in the center of the painting. But this one is a painting of Joseph dying. In some traditions, Jesus is maybe 18 or 19 when Joseph dies. We really don't know. The Bible doesn't give us any data. Joseph just kind of disappears from the story. He never got to see the box opened. He never got to see the curse broken through Jesus' death and resurrection. You and I are a bit like Joseph in that we live in this in-between time. We've heard that one day the curse will be banished. We haven't seen that happen yet. The curse has already been broken. And now is the time to respond by saying, Jesus, I receive you as God's greatest gift ever, not only to me, but to the whole world. And I want to stop trying to build this life without your instructions. I want to be faithful to you while I wait for you to come again and finish what you have started. Let's turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer, which tells us this same story in another way. Fewer words, more visuals. More things to smell and to taste because it's so important that these promises get rooted deep down into our souls. There's no indication from Scripture that Joseph was still alive when this happened. Mary was, we know. And Jesus assembled many disciples around him. And on the night that he was betrayed, he celebrated with them um, the Passover meal. And uh, he said, you know, the blood of the Passover lamb is not really what will deliver us from death in the end. It's something else. Can I take a moment to tell you about that something else? And so on that night, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks to his father for it, he broke it, and he said... This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. This was Jesus telling him about the something else that breaks the curse and protects us from death. Scripture says that in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's not sealed by the blood of a lamb. It's the new covenant in my blood, 
which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. That was Jesus saying, I will take away your sin. And when I take away sin, I'm taking away curse. When I take away curse, I'm taking away death. I'm taking away everything that disrupts life in this world. Jesus was saying, I'm going to break the power of this curse. And one day I'll come again and banish it forever. Until that happens, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. If you have not accepted Jesus as that gift with your name on it because of your sins and your need for someone to deliver you from curse and death, then it's not yet time for you to take part in this sacrament. We're glad you're here to hear more of God's promises. Hope that in the same way that he's drawn many of us in this room to trust those promises as our own, he will do that in your own life. So as our elements are passed around, um, you might let those pass and reflect a bit on where you stand in your relationship with Jesus. If your trust is in Jesus, even if you're not a member of this church, but you've been baptized in his name, we invite you to take part in this sacrament with us. A couple of guidelines as I invite our servers to come forward. Um, Our bread's gluten-free. We have wine and juice in our trays. You'll find the juice on the outer ring and the wine on the inside of those trays. And then we will um, hold our uh, bread and juice or wine and, and take those together as a reminder that we are one family, one body, um, woven together by the steadfast love of Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do something more than we could expect or imagine right now. We ask you to transport our souls to heavenly places where Jesus, the resurrected Lord, with the signs of his crucifixion still evident on his resurrected body, is enthroned over the entire universe. And he already possesses the fullness of life that he promises to share with us when he returns. Transport our hearts to that place so that our love for Jesus could grow and increase and our certainty that he will come again and finish what he has started would grow stronger and therefore our readiness to see our lives radically change tomorrow and the next day and the next day would increase. Grow our love for Jesus. Grow our faithfulness to him. We pray, Holy Spirit, through this sacrament, through the simple signs of eating and drinking, and the reality of trusting our Savior. Amen.